0: Good morning, I invite you to, if you would, turn in your Bibles, or as they say, turn them on if you need to, to Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read the first 10 verses, but I would even challenge you to do this. Just listen, and let God the Spirit uh, use his word to draw pictures as we read God's word that draw pictures for us. So stare at the ceiling, close your eyes, and just hear God speak. Isaiah 11, verses 1 through 10. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and of power. The spirit of knowledge and of fear of the Lord. And he will delight The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will Be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his place of rest will be glorious. Let's pray. Lord God, speak to our hearts. We need to hear from you. I ask you today, Lord, that you will give strength to those whose lives are filled with trouble and sadness and despair. Give them hope. This morning, Lord, may those of us who have good lives not be satisfied with the good, but give us a vision of your better. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Today is the third Sunday of Advent, if you're into that stuff. Traditionally, this would be the Sunday of joy. And first Sunday of Advent is hope. Second Sunday is peace. Today's the, the day of joy. And I believe Isaiah 11 wraps all those three together in the most wonderful way. Oh, by the way, fourth Sunday, Christmas Eve this year, is uh, love, is the traditional focus theme of that day. I hope today that you leave here with a little more hope, a little more peace, and a little more joy, even if your world is not any of those things today, even if uh, your life is not feeling that because of Jesus Christ. Do you remember about 10 years ago, there was this thing called a major recession that happened in 2008? So long ago. And you know, retailers at that time uh, did not order very much stuff to fill their stores, but they still hoped to make a killing at Christmas season. You know why? Because what do you do, what do Americans do when they're sad to make Christmas happy? They buy lots of what? Stuff. (laughs) And we know that stuff doesn't make us have peace or joy or happiness, but we still try anyway with more stuff. But deep in our hearts, we know that stuff doesn't make it any better or good. And the difference is Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it's knowing him. And Isaiah was speaking the Lord's word in a day that was very dark, was very sad. The near future was bleak. The distant future for hundreds of years was going to be even bleaker. And yet he gives a message that's filled with hope. And joy and peace, and it's all wrapped around in our reliance on God and his Savior, his Messiah, Jesus Christ. The reason I have a verse in the front cover of the bulletin this week is because it's the theme verse for our hearts today, I hope. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him. Isn't that an amazing thought? The nations will rally to the name of Jesus Christ, to him himself, and his place of rest will be glorious. So let's think about that thought, that verse, that theme, this glorious rest that's on its way. This is what the Lord says about the light and the darkness of Messiah's coming. thought Christmas was all happy. It's not. Isaiah starts with a gloomy message. If you have your Bibles open to Isaiah 11, turn back a few pages to chapter 1. In verses 7 through 9, here's what Isaiah was preaching to the people of Judah. Your country is desolate, your city's burned with fire, your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you, laid waste as when overthrown by strangers. The daughter of Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a field of melons, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty has left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We have, would have been like Gomorrah. Flip over a few pages and look at chapter 3 of Isaiah, verse 1. See now, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, is about to take from Jerusalem and Judah both supply and support. All supplies of food and all supplies of water, the hero and warrior, the judge and the prophet, the soothsayer and the elder, the captain of 50, the man of rank, the counselor, skilled craftsman, and clever enchanter. I will make boys their officials, mere children will govern them, people will oppress each other, man against man, neighbor against neighbor, the young will rise up against the old, the base against the honorable, a man will seize one of his brothers at his father's home and say, you have a cloak, you be our leader, take charge of this heap of ruins. But in that day he will cry out, I have no remedy, I have no food or clothing in my house, do not make me the leader of the people. Jerusalem staggers. Judah is falling. Their words and deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. The look on their faces testifies against them. They parade their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them. They've brought disaster upon themselves. All that mess, all that darkness, all that bleakness was a result of sinful, rebellious choices. you ever look at our nation and wonder why we're still around? That we're not like Sodom and Gomorrah? It's only because God's gracious and doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. It's true for all the nations. You know, one thing the Pharisees got down really well, and sometimes good church people too, Unlike Judah back in Isaiah's day, we don't parade our sins around. We cover them up. We don't confess our sins to one another because we know that we all know that we're sinners. We know that God knows how unholy we are. But by all the strength and might we have within us, I am never going to let you know How unholy I am because I want to look pretty. I want to keep my job. I want to have a position because I am a follower of God, but God says just clean it up. Confess our sins. Don't parade them. Our hearts tell us we're sinful. Oh, wretched people we are, Lord, deliver us from ourselves and help us to be true and honest and ask him to cleanse us. So Isaiah gives these dark, gloomy words, but then there's so much hope in the gospel of Isaiah. Look at chapter 8. Can I read a few verses from there? Look at verse 6. Because this people has rejected the flowing waters of Shiloh and rejoices over Rezin and the son of Remaliah, therefore the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the river. And the name of that river, by the way, is the king of Assyria with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels and run over all its banks and sweep into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breath of your land. Oh, Emmanuel, raise the war cry, you nations, and be shattered. Listen, all you distant lands, prepare for battle and be shattered. Prepare for battle and be shattered. Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. You're saying to me, Matt, where in the world is the good news in that? Did you hear it? Emmanuel the water's only going to come up to Judah's neck because God is with us because God is going to deliver us as bleak and as dark as it's going to get God is not done with us he's not going to discard his people those who truly trust in him will forever live that's good news. That's the dark and the light messages that came with Jesus. When he was born, there was all this wonderful news. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He's Christ the Lord. But at the same time, there was this dark news. I mean, John the Baptist saying, the kingdom of God is here, the ones coming. But then at the same time, he said, and there's an axe going to be laid at the root, and all those trees that don't produce fruit fit for the kingdom are going to be, what, cast into the fire. So there's this wonderful news of salvation, but also terrible news of judgment in the first advent of Christ. And it's exactly the same when Jesus comes back again. The good news is Jesus is coming back. We just sang about that today. Yay, the kingdom is coming. We ought to be excited about that. It might be near. And yet at the same time, it's a terrible thing. And the descriptions of his judgment that's coming with him the second time is terrible. Oh, no. Be careful what you wish for. What made Noah's flood both terrible and great? Wonderful. The terribleness of it was this the destruction of human life and all creation. And just think about it. The glorious thing about it was that Noah and his family were delivered from all the wickedness. Fresh start, clean world. Belief and reverent fear in Noah's and his family's life was the only difference maker there. Faith, belief. And this morning, I just say to you out there, have you believed? Do you really believe he is the Savior, this Jesus Christ? Jesus Messiah, and have you embraced him and trusted in him for forgiveness of sins? Have you surrendered your life and begun to produce the fruit in your life that you know he wants you to produce, that he can produce because his life is in you? Then don't hesitate to follow him fully, to entrust yourself to him. Believe today. Don't wait because he's coming again and it may be too late to change anything else. There are days when I wish Jesus would just come back. How about you? But then again, no. Because I know what it means for people I love who haven't believed in them yet. That they're going to be like the people outside the ark when the flood of God's judgments comes. What's going to happen to them? So, Lord, don't come yet. Be merciful. Be like Abraham and be praying for Sodom and Gomorrah and say, Lord, can you find just 50 or 40 or 20 or 30? I did that backwards, right? 30, 10 righteous people don't come back yet, yet, Lord, I want you to come, and I want your glory to be seen, but Lord, there's so many people that I know and love, those neighbors that we've met, but we haven't even had into our home yet, that need to maybe hear the gospel. Lord, let the sweetness of God's salvation motivate you to, to, to share your faith more urgently. Let the the terribleness of the judgments that coming stir you to share the gospel, to live differently, and then produce conversations because you want people to share in the glories of the kingdom. That's what the Lord says about the darkness and the light of his first advent, his first coming, and his second coming. But this is what the Lord says about, and this is the happy news, the glorious kingdom that's coming. Finally, I get to chapter 11. Let me read the first three verses again real quickly. I got to look at my watch. Okay. I got lots of time. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. I'll just stop there real quick. I'm sorry. Raised up in weakness. There's a beautiful picture here. I better fly fast. Isaiah just talked about Assyria was the power in the world right then. And they were just conquering everybody. Doing what they wanted to. And he, God describes them as this beautiful forest. Just a forest of trees. that Just huge trees of Lebanon. Tall Beautiful trees, just massive, strong, sturdy trees. And and God loves to use plants to be pictures of people because he likes people more, but pictures of people. And he uses plants for fruitfulness or being cut down and, and burned up. So it's like all these pictures And Assyria was this huge, strong, mighty, tall forest. And then at the end of chapter 10, he says they're going to be chopped down. There's going to be so few trees in this forest of Assyria that a little child will be able to count them. So this glorious kingdom is going to be so unglorious that a little child can be able to count up to, well, what, 10, 20, maybe, trees? Wow, what a picture, because they were so proud. See, look at verse 33 of chapter 10. See, the Lord, the Lord Almighty, will lop off the boughs with great power. So here's a Syria that's just a stump. And then God talks about the stump of Jesse. David's King David's line, the the kingly line, is just a stump. But there's a shoot. Assyria doesn't get a shoot, but Judah is a stump of a nation. Has a shoot. And up out of that weakness, God is going to raise up a glorious kingdom. The spirit of God is going to rule over this ruler, this one from the branch, this branch. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of power, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord better than King David, better than King Solomon. We know they were the greatest kings. They were at the pinnacle of the kingdom's rule and reign, but they fell so far short. But the Messiah is going to be amazing and wonderful. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. He's gonna reign with justice and righteousness. That's the kind of king we want and we need. Every time we vote for a new president, we hope that they're gonna be that one, right? And they always let us down. But this king will not let us down. This king will rule and reign. Not by what he hears or what he sees because he rules in righteousness and he knows our hearts, so he sees the motive. So it isn't hearsay that he judges things by. It isn't just what he can perceive with his eyes, but he knows the heart. So, and because he's righteous in all he is and does, Jesus Christ, he will rule and reign beautiful. The kind of king we want. But, you know, there's a cost to following that kind of a king. Do you know what it is? You have to follow him. You have to be like him. You have to be changed. You have to humble yourself the way he humbled himself and served others. And his kingdom has to be the only kingdom that you love. And that's where our hearts wrestle with its surrendering to him. So his reign is going to be amazing. His character is perfect. And then I love the description of his peace. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, and the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. Now, if you're a parent, what child came to your picture in your mind right now? The little child. What child did you picture? Well, for me right now, it's four granddaughters. Can you imagine little ones, the oldest is five, Leading animals around, horses in the corral, cows. You don't put little children in those places. They can get trampled on. Can you imagine parents having a child come out to you? Uh, I can can just picture this. Grandpa, (laughs) can we take the tiger and the bear and the lamb for a walk in the woods? And, And me being able to say, yeah, go ahead, but just don't be late for supper. See, this is an unimaginable world, but that's what it's going to be like. And we can really believe that it's going to be true. That the kingdom that Jesus brings is going to be like the way it was in the garden again. The whole idea of the little child will lead them, you see, that takes us back to Genesis chapter 1 where God said to Adam and Eve, no, you're going to rule and reign over all the animals, all the fish in the seas and all the creatures in the world, and you're going to, they're going to submit to you. And, and Isaiah's describing it. It's not grown-ups leading the animals, but it's little children. They're going to be playing with poisonous snakes because they're not poisonous anymore. I mean, are you going to play next to the cobras and the vipers' nests? No, but this is amazing. There's this picture, such a beautiful kingdom. When I was little, I wanted to be a cowboy. And then I found out that horses were kind of terrifying to me. As a matter of fact, when I was in my 20s, I took some of the guys here. We went to a brigade camp, and they had horses, and I was riding on this horse. And this horse was an old and slow, so he was safe. It wasn't like he was a wild bucking bronco, but the guy did not like me and he tried to rub me off every tree next on the trail. He would just literally go over and try and rub me off. Not so in the kingdom. That's why I really hope, I'm serious, I hope I can ride a T-Rex in the kingdom. (laughs) Talk about being a cowboy. There's a beautiful picture here of the king gathering his people. Verse 10, in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples, and the nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day, the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people, the stump of people. He's going to regather it, and it's going to be glorious. He's going to gather it from Assyria to Egypt, to all these places that were dark and conquered. He's going to just bring all his, not only the Jewish people, but all the nations are going to rally to Jesus. He's the rallying point. Kind of into the Civil War, and you know, every brigade had uh, their own regiment flag. And that was the rallying point for those men. It it was an important flag. They would follow it into battle. When it moves this way, they followed it. When it went that way, they followed it. It was the way they kept things in order. And and that was a prize for the enemy, by the way, those regimental flags. So uh, the guys that were carrying them were targets because they loved to see that flag start to fall. And as soon as that flag would start to fall, they didn't want it to touch the ground. Someone would pick it up and and carry it and rally their the regiment to keep marching forward and they would get shot or wounded killed and someone else would pick it up and they were prized possessions other regiments the enemy loved to hold up those banners and say look who we defeated Well, Jesus is our rattling flag, so to speak. He's our banner. He's the one we are to follow. When he goes to the right, we go to the right, to the left. When he says, go into all the world, we go. When he says, go across the street and talk to that person, love your enemy as I have loved you because you were my enemy and now you're my friend, so make them your friends so that they can maybe, we got to follow him. He's our banner. He's the rallying point. God's people were nearly extinct. The line of David was not in Jerusalem. Rome and King Herod were ruling there when Jesus came. Joseph and Mary were living up in some backwood town called Nazareth in the country, long forgotten. But God never forgets his line, his promises, his people. And he's going to make that stump of a nation into something glorious, his kingdom, his people. God loves to take weak things and make them strong. In 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us I don't want to be a jar of clay. I want to be an iron kettle. Right? I don't want to be fragile. I want to be strong. That's why we build stone cathedrals, because we want to make a statement. It's for God's glory. It's for permanence. And that's okay until we start depending on our stones and our work and not the Lord. God loves to use jars of clay. That would be me. It's pretty obvious, I think, that I'm clay. Grace Chapel, maybe it's not so bad that we are where we are. Because God likes to take stumps. And grow them into trees that show his name to be glorious. How many times has God, through history, taken human stumps and made them glorious trees in his name? Abraham, the father of many, he didn't even have any sons. Israel, a nation of slaves. And they got free from the world power of the time, Egypt, all by God's hand. Gideon, the brave warrior who was threshing wheat in a hole in the ground, that's not where you thresh wheat. (laughs) David, the youngest, not the tallest, not the biggest. Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, who became a child to serve. Jesus Christ, who looked like a stump of a movement when he was laying in the grave. And his enemies thought it was over. An Antichrist comes at the end of time and he raises up power and he has a power given to him by God to conquer all the saints and do all his own will, whatever he wants and he can blaspheme and no one can fight against him when it seems like God's people are nothing but a lost cause stump. Who comes to the rescue? Jesus Christ. And it will be glorious when all seems to have failed and be over. When Israel was thinking we're nothing but a stump, we give up. Let's just give in to Rome. God sends a savior. Believe and be changed. Judah responds, and I don't have time to look at it today because I talked about T-Rexes, and things like that. But in Isaiah chapter 12, it's Israel believing Israel's response to the Messiah. It's a great song of praise from earth, and it echoes the words and the choruses of praise that we know from heaven in the book of Revelation. Praising God, you'll have to look at that yourself. My thought today that I wanna close with is just this. Are you responding to this glorious vision of God's kingdom the way we should? It's Christmas time. And we know stuff isn't really gonna make us happy. Oh, by the way, you only have a week to shop for my Christmas present, I'm just kidding. It's not the stuff. It's Jesus Christ that makes all the difference in hope and peace, and joy. And he's the one that can give it to us now, and he's the one that's going to introduce us to lasting peace, where children are going to be leading dinosaurs around the world. That's the way I like to picture it. And it'll all be safe. And it'll all be good. It'll all be glorious. The consequences of not following and believing are terrible. And that's why there's light and darkness when we hear about Jesus coming, not only the first time, in his ministry, but the second time as well. Isaiah and Paul had amazing ministries, and those are two men who lived hundreds of years apart. And you know what the life-changing difference was for them? They captured a vision of the king. They saw a vision of the king, and it forever changed the way they lived. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And God said, go, and no one's going to listen to you. You're going to tell the truth. You're going to say what I want you to say, and no one's going to listen, but go anyway. And And he went. And the Apostle Paul, he went after he met Jesus Christ, and he was beaten, and he was stoned, and he was thrown in prison, and he was ridiculed, and he was called weak. And made fun of and ridiculed by other people who said they were preaching in the gospel of Christ. But he pressed on and they did it together because they captured a vision of the king and his kingdom. And that's what will make your Christmas and my life and my Christmases best and better. And we will press on like Joe Mellon and Karen have these past years for all these 30 years because they've captured a vision of Jesus and his kingdom. Is your life hurried? I hope it's hurried because you're so busy doing things for the kingdom of God. But most of us have hurried lives because the truth is it's not because we're so busy with important things. It's because we're afraid we're going to miss something. And that's why Americans are running here. Well, if I don't go here, I'm going to miss something. I, I saw it on Facebook. We need to do this. Don't waste your life with that. Just gaze upon the beauty of Jesus Christ. And it will change everything. Darkness will come. But the hope, peace, and joy that Jesus gives can never be taken away. He's our banner. He's our rallying point. May you know that peace and joy even if your life is difficult today because of the hope that he gives now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, allow us to see the glory of who you are, the incredible peace of your kingdom. Let it move us to love and declare your glory to the nations and to our neighbors to one another this Christmas season, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you all please stand? And uh, as we, uh, before we close, I just want to remind everyone that this Friday evening, if you, if you're available, we're going to be going out and doing some Christmas caroling. Uh, we're going to join together downstairs in the fellowship hall around 6 o'clock, have some pizza together, go out, Carol, and then come back and have some hot chocolate cookies. Hopefully, it won't rain. If it does, we'll have to make a decision and still go. But I hope to see as many of you as possible Friday night. Um, as we just heard from Matt, this is just a very busy time of year, uh, so much going on. But I hope that in our busyness, um, we're finding time to do things for the kingdom of God. To I me, mean, this is an opportunity to do that, and I just want to encourage you to take advantage of that opportunity. Let's close our service scene joinably.